Good morning, good morning, good morning. Felt really good about Chris being one of our pastors on staff until today. Although I must confess, I do root for two nations. I root for USA and America. You know what I mean? Hey, how many of you uh, remember elementary school? Some of you got to dust off some cobwebs to get there, I know. Uh, remember elementary school? Man, I, I, uh, my family moved around a lot, so I actually went to three different elementary schools, uh, which was a lot. And, uh, but the one thing that was constant was my two favorite subjects in school. Any of you have a favorite subject? You can think back that far. Anybody? Eight of us. The rest of us just got through it. Um, but I was uh, preschool. That was your favorite subject. Okay. Uh, my favorite two subjects uh, were lunch and recess. And nothing else mattered, you know. Um, but man, recess was fun. How many of you remember the, uh, the recess, the elementary school recess arguments and fights? Remember those? Anybody? How many of you were involved with a couple of those maybe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I remember those. It, I don't know how you city folks handled it, but in Arkansas, uh, we would, w- well, they would usually begin with somebody saying something about somebody's mama. And it would go something like, man, your mama's so ugly. It's like she fell out the ugly tree, hit every ugly branch, and then landed on the ugly rock. And then, and then somebody would not be very happy about that. They said, man, don't you talk about my mama that way. So you talking about mama, I'm going to talk about your mama. And then they would say something, at least in Arkansas, we would say something like, man, your mama's got a glass eye with a fish in it. And the first person like, don't you say that about my mama, take that back. You better take that back. And the other person would be like, what you going to do about it? And then there was fighting words. The line was drawn. It was time to either put up or shut up. And most of the time in third grade, people just shut up. Jesus today, as he closes out his kingdom manifesto, he's going to draw a line in the sand. He's going to, for all of us in his original audience and for us today as we dive into this, he's drawing a line in the sand and he's basically saying what I've titled this message, what are you going to do about it? And if you look at it, I have spelled that phonetically correctly the way that I intended to, that's not a typo. That's actually what English looks like in Arkansas. So we're gonna dive into this today. If I've not met you yet, my name is Journey and it's my privilege to be the pastor here, man. I'd love to connect with you, um, get to know you a little bit. You can find me out in the lobby after the service. Hey, listen, you're gonna wanna be here next week. Next week, Discover Church turns three. Our third birthday, which is nuts, it's crazy. If you're new with us, just letting you know, we are a young church. Uh, We're going to have our third birthday next week. You're not going to want to miss it because we know how to throw a good birthday party. And so you're not going to miss that. Today, we're closing our summer study series called The Kingdom Manifesto. And here's what we've been doing. We've been studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we've been learning from the King of Kings how how the kingdom operates. 
We've been learning from the King of Kings, which is Jesus, how his people, which is anyone who belongs to Jesus, um, how we are um, called and expected to live within that kingdom. And we're studying this because whether you want to, want to be involved or not, whether you knew that you were involved or not, man, we are right smack dab in the middle of this epic clash between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of good and the kingdom of evil. And the king of light has come into the scene and he is issuing his manifesto. And in his manifesto, he's covered a lot of ground. In Matthew chapter five, we learned about how people should, should live and how they should be. We got into Matthew chapter six in the first half of that and we learned why and how to avoid hypocrisy. Then we got to the second half of Matthew. We learned about, about where we, we should anchor our trust and where it is most fruitful, where it is most profitable for us to choose to anchor what we trust in. And then we got into Matthew chapter seven and we begin to learn how we should live in relationships with others. And now we're at the end of his manifesto. We're at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is going to do is he is going to use a, a series of contrasting options in order to force people to make a decision. And this is one of the most profound things about Jesus is that Jesus always forces a decision. Anytime you encounter Jesus, when he shows up, he's gonna, he's gonna create a fork in the road and he's gonna make you choose. Are you gonna trust him or are you gonna doubt him? Are you gonna obey him or are you gonna do your own thing? Are you gonna love him or are you gonna hate him? And ultimately, are you gonna follow him or were you gonna turn away from him? But what Jesus does is he makes it impossible for us to ignore him and disregard him. What he does is he makes it impossible for us to uh, pretend like he's not in the room. He makes it impossible for us to, to forget what it is that he said because when Jesus shows up, when Jesus speaks, when we have an encounter with Jesus, the meandering road, the meandering path that we have been on is going to be forever changed moving forward, that the landscape is going to shift. There's gonna be a fork in the road and he's gonna make you choose, but the thing that is so good about our God, the thing that is so gracious about Jesus is he will make you choose, but he will never force the choice on you. He will always, always, always give you the freedom to choose. God has always operated that way. God has never um, decided that he was gonna force his love upon us. He, never, he was never gonna force us to love him and respond to him. He was always going to be a gentleman and he was always gonna give us the freedom and the opportunity to choose. And what we're going to experience today and what we're gonna encounter with Jesus today is absolutely no different. Because what he's gonna do is he's going to wrap up and basically say, everything that you have heard me teach so far, I'm asking this one question, what are you gonna do about it? We're gonna be in Matthew chapter seven today. You can go ahead and turn there. I hope you brought your Bible. We use them every time we get together on a Sunday morning without fail. But if you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We got your back. We'll have the verses on the screen. If you're with me in Matthew chapter seven, let me hear you say one time in a good Arkansas voice, what are you gonna do about it? Yeah, that feels like home right there take a few teeth out and it'll feel better. Somebody just got that. Matthew seven thirteen. Jesus says this, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. 
because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. What Jesus does is he starts by painting a picture for us with words of two diverging paths. And as he does, what, he, what he's doing is he's inviting us, anyone who is hearing him, anyone who is hearing his voice, today he's inviting you to enter in by the narrow gate. And before he tells us why it's good for us to enter by the narrow gate, what he's going to do is he's going to first tell us about the other gate, the other path that is the the, the broad path and the broad gate that many find. And, And I want you to notice that he says that wide is the road and narrow is the, or I'm sorry, wide is the road and and broad is the gate. What he's saying here is that, that this road that, that you're on, the road that most people fall into, it is easy and it's convenient to find yourself on this road. It's the road that most people go into. It's the natural flow of our lives. The natural flow of almost everything in nature is to flow towards things that are easier and more convenient. The principle of osmosis. If you remember all the way back, keeping with the theme of school, if you remember back to uh, middle school and high school science, you learned about osmosis where, where water or liquid will always move from a place of high pressure to a place of low pressure if given the option. Perhaps if that's a little bit too far back, then maybe this will be a little bit more practical that our bodies don't naturally flow towards fit and chiseled. They naturally flow towards fat and fluffy. That's the natural way of things. That's, that's the natural course. It's the natural direction. It's the way that, that pretty much almost all of nature flows. And, but the problem is, is that when we take this road, we find something there that at the end of that road is not what we were hoping. It's not what we were expecting. It's certainly not what we wanted. Jesus tells us that at the end of that road is destruction. What is so good about Jesus is that he loves us enough to at times confront us as we are living our lives and say, listen, don't go that way. Because what is at the end of that road is not what you think. Because all you're gonna find there is destruction. This word that is translated destruction here literally means the loss of eternal life or eternal misery. In other words, what he's saying is, is that the path that leads away from heaven is broad, the gate is wide, it is easy and it is convenient and that is the path that we naturally are bent to flow towards. And what Jesus is doing is he is confronting us in this and he's helping us to understand that, 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 that we don't just naturally flow towards heaven, we're not naturally the type of people that when we die that we'll just end up in heaven. The book of Proverbs confirms this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man. There are gonna be times in our lives where we are gonna be utterly convinced that the direction that I'm heading, where I'm going, the decision that I'm making, it is absolutely 100% right. I have my reasons and I have my justifications why I need to do this. And what God is saying in his word is that there is a way that seems right. 
But if we do not consult God, if we do not consult his word, then what's gonna happen is, is that the end of that way that we will be utterly convinced is absolutely correct, is that the end of that way is death. And what Jesus is doing here is just confirming something that the Old Testament talks about. Because in our natural state, in our own desires, in our own human wisdom, we will make decisions that we're absolutely convinced are correct. This is why Jesus continually taught us all throughout his manifesto. This is the reason why he continually taught us that his kingdom is upside down. That the way that his kingdom operates, the the philosophy and the economy of his kingdom is upside down. It oftentimes is going to go opposite of conventional wisdom. It's oftentimes going to do the opposite of what we believe and the way that we think things should be and the way that they should work and the way that they should operate because his kingdom is upside down. But what's worse is that next Jesus tells us about the types of people that we will find standing all along the way down this path. Once you notice what he says in verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You see, what he's saying is, is that on the wide path where the broad gate is, are a whole lot of people who will say a whole lot of things that will make you feel really, really good about who you are, where you are, and where you're going. There will be a whole lot of people that will confirm your internal cognitive biases. There's gonna be a whole lot of people that that are gonna look and, 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 and seem like they are the part. You're gonna find people who are, who are smart and witty and charming. And what he's saying is, is You need to be mindful of what you hear and who you hear it from because a lot of those people, their charm is only fleece deep. Because internally, there's something else at work. And some of them do it intentionally. There are some people who are intentionally trying to come in and subversively be a a wolf in sheep's clothing and to try to tell you things that are the opposite of what God has said because their only goal and their only desire is to see your destruction. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus told us about the devil and about his whole group of people. We call them demons, we call them legion, we call them all kinds of things, that there is in this spiritual war that we've been talking about in this clash between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, that the devil's desire, his only goal, what gives him the greatest amount of elation and satisfaction is to see, to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And so what he will be careful to do is to make sure that he sends people in your path. Some of them will look like they're Christians. Some of them will proclaim to be Christians. Some of them might post a thing on their Instagram from time to time that makes it appear that they love Jesus, makes it appear that they're following Jesus. But internally, they're not really following Jesus. They too have succumbed to the wide and easy and convenient road that is religion, where religion looks the part, but it is void and hollow and empty of any type of power that can impact or change your life. Still worse, you're gonna find pastors who proclaim to be followers of Jesus. Some of them will have 
thousands, maybe even millions of followers. And they'll even use the name of Jesus. But if you listen carefully to their message, they proclaim a message that is different than the message that Jesus proclaimed. That yes, there is much hope and there is much peace and there is much blessing by following Jesus. But don't be deceived. It is also hard and it will cost you the surrender of everything. So before you run to that podcast, before you run to that friend, before you go and and I I have a way and it seems right to me, I feel like I know where I'm going, but I'm gonna ask a couple of people, listen, you need to be careful about the people that you're asking for that godly advice from. You be careful the people that you're listening to. Question then becomes, okay, well, How on earth do you spot a wolf in sheep's clothing? Jesus is gonna tell us in verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Now watch what he does here because now he's going to appeal to something that his original audience would have been very aware of. He says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? If you don't know, you gather grapes from vines, not thorn bushes. Or figs from thistles. I don't know anybody would want a fig because then things are nasty. My grandma used to make me eat Fig Newtons. That is cruel and unusual punishment. I just offended a lot of people. Even so, verse 17, every good tree bears good fruit. He's talking about the fruit of their life now. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. It's impossible. A good tree that is securely rooted and anchored in the right soil, anchored in the soil of God's word, anchored in a deep and growing and abiding relationship with Jesus, it is impossible for that tree, that person, that life to bear bad fruit. In the same way, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. So before you, before you just go seeking anybody's advice and wisdom, before you just go jump into that podcast, before you jump into that person's blog, before you just take every single uh, clip of what you see on Instagram as the gospel truth, you need to ask yourself some questions. I wanna give you three questions that I believe that you can ask that can help you. The first question that you should ask is, does what they say match up to God's word? Now, I talked about this for just a few minutes last week, but it's important that before you begin taking somebody else's advice or wisdom on what God's word says, it's important that you spend some time yourself diving in to go, God, what what exactly did you say? I might need some help understanding some of it, but if I don't know what you said, then it's gonna be really easy for someone to convince me that you've said something different. We need to ask the question, does what they say match up with God's word? Here's the second question. Does their life reflect a life of self-seeking and gratification or do you see a life that reflects holiness? Meaning, when you think of the type of Christian, if you're looking to somebody for some advice and some wisdom, when you think of the kind of Christian that you believe that God would be proud of and that you would desire to be someday, Do you see that kind of holiness or do you see constant manipulation and and, and reworking and try to work things to their own benefit and their own self-satisfaction and gratification and pleasure? 
And lastly, number three, I believe you should ask this question. Do you see them in genuine love for Jesus? Can I just tell you that as a pastor, I have become very aware that it's really easy to convince people that I love Jesus when in reality, I just love myself. It's really easy as a pastor to proclaim things and, and, and to be in this position that I'm in and go, man, this is what God told me. And it's easy to manipulate people into believing that you're actually following God when in reality, you're just following your own selfish ambitions and desires. And can I tell you, it's because of that that I hate my job. Now, I love my job. I love what I get to do. But can I tell you, I am continually aware of my issues. And I'm continually aware that I am not God. And every single week that I stand on this stage or that I reach out to you or that I connect with you or that I talk to you or someone says, hey, pastor, can I get your advice? Can I get your wisdom? Can you help me understand something? Every single time that that happens, I begin to get just a little bit freaked out and I go to God in prayer and say, God, I am not nearly as much as they think I am. Because the only thing in me that has any value God, is what you say and do in me. And I'll just tell you, pray for me. Because I've seen many, many pastors lose their way along the way. And somewhere along the line, it became about them instead of about Jesus. Church, I love you. I love you individually. I love what God is doing here. I love my family, I love my kids, I love my wife, but can I tell you, the most important love relationship for me to have and for you to have is a love relationship with Jesus. So ask yourself that question, do you see in them a genuine love for Jesus? And if the answer to any of these questions is no, then I believe that what Jesus is cautioning us here is to beware. Because what happens if we don't, Beware, and if we begin to follow these teachers and we begin to, to go along the path and we begin to just go with the flow and, and do what other people are doing, then, then if, we, if we miss Jesus, if we miss the narrow gate and the narrow road and we get caught up in the flow of religion, then we will spend our days and we will spend our life doing things that we believe are Christ-like when in reality they are just Christ-liked. And they will mean nothing. Jesus is cautioning us here. You need to be careful. Because on the surface, if you follow the wrong people, if you listen to the wrong messages, you can, you can live in such a way where you look like a Christian. But you will have missed the message of Jesus' kingdom that not only is his kingdom upside down, remember, it's also inside out. That the things that we do externally have absolutely no bearing on our souls or the condition of our hearts. You can't come to church enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't serve enough. You can't give enough to change 
the condition of your soul, the kingdom of Jesus is inside out. And so the only way that we become to be changed on the inside is when we surrender our lives to him and say, Jesus, it's all yours. And then from that moment, we become changed from the inside out and our external words and our actions and our deeds will begin to realign to the change that's happened on the inside. And as Jesus describes this in these next few verses, he shares what I believe are the most scary verses in all the Bible. Because this is what he says in verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, so enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Didn't we go to church enough? Didn't we pray enough? Didn't we serve enough? Didn't we give enough? Didn't I invite enough people to come to church? Didn't I help my neighbor enough? Lord, listen, can I tell you that this is what causes me to lose sleep at night? That you could spend any time under my teaching as your pastor that you could spend any time a part of our church. And in the midst of all of the good Jesus looking things that you would miss Jesus. Can I tell you something? I could care less if you go and tell everybody, man, that is the greatest pastor that has ever lived. I could care less if you go tell everybody and share the messages and you gotta listen to this guy. I could care less if you go tell everybody, man, your church sucks. You need to come to my church because my church is the best church. I could care less if you talk about our kids' ministry, if you talk about what we're doing with our dream teams, the stuff we're doing in the community and missions. I could care less about all of that stuff if you miss Jesus. If you walk out of this door and you never come to this church ever again and you say nothing but the worst things about our church and the worst things about me and you curse my name and you curse our church, but you walk away with Jesus, it will all be worth it. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, don't you look at all the things I did on the outside. Look at all the things that I did, all the good things, all the things that I said, and Jesus is gonna say, depart from me because I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This word knew is what I believe is probably the most important word in the entire Bible because it is the word that separates whether or not you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus and a home in heaven and hope on earth, or you don't. This word is the Greek word gnosko. And this word gnosko translated literally means to know someone in a personal, growing, and intimate way. It's the difference between me saying, I know Patrick Mahomes. We all know Patrick Mahomes. But I can promise you, I know my wife in a very different way and we have three kids because of it. Wink, wink, you understand what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. 
See, what Jesus is saying, in other words, is that there's gonna be a day that comes. Certainly, it's gonna happen when our life on earth is done and we're gonna get up to the gates of heaven and we're gonna be knocking like, St. Pete, let me in, what up? I'm here. You're welcome. And our expectations are gonna be tragically crushed because Jesus is gonna say, who are you? Depart from me, I don't know you. The people who say, oh yeah, Jesus, I know that guy. (laughs) I read his book, some of it, not all of it. Started in the beginning, got to the book where they started talking about numbers and people begetting people and I kind of got lost, I lost interest. Yeah, I know about Jesus. Yeah, me and Jesus are good. I took Jesus with me doing all kinds of stuff. Going to the parties, doing all the things. Yeah, I had Jesus. He was in my back pocket. You know what I mean? The people who would say that Jesus is important enough that you could be associated with him, but not important enough that you would surrender to him, those are the people that Jesus is gonna say, depart from me because I never, I never knew you. Or perhaps to make it maybe a little bit more practical, a little bit more helpful to think about, on the day when all hell breaks loose and your world comes crashing down and you call out, Lord, Lord, would you help me? Lord, would you give me peace? God, would you give me wisdom? Jesus, would you intervene? Would you intercede? Would you show up? Would you help me in this situation? I believe that in those moments, Jesus hears our prayers, but I believe that what happens is, is that we begin to try to exercise the authority of a relationship that we don't have, that, and that authority is required for in order for Jesus to intervene in our situation. And there are times where you've been in the hell of life and the crap of life and you've cried out, Lord, Lord, I need your help. And Jesus is saying, say what now? I don't, I don't know you the way that you think you know me. See, this type of growing, intimate, personal relationship that Jesus wants with you is is the kind of relationship that a loving husband or a loving wife would have with their spouse where they know their spouse's favorite restaurants. The favorite thing to get from from Quick Trip. I don't even have to call and ask. I know that my baby wants this, so I'm just gonna go ahead and get it kind of relationship with you're aware of the idiosyncrasies and the little things that make you tick. That's the relationship that Jesus wants. And anyone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus like that should strongly consider the road that you're traveling on. Jesus contrasts this wide road and the wide gate with another one in verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. What he's telling us is, is that, that the gate that we ultimately wish we could find is harder to see, especially when the masses are going with the flow down the wide road and the wide gate. But it's this narrow gate is the only gate that we'll find Jesus in. And I don't believe it's an accident or coincidence that you're here today because I believe it is an opportunity and somehow, some way in your life where Jesus is showing up as you're going with the flow and he's calling your name today and he's saying, hey, this way, 
come over to where I am. Unless there's any confusion about it, Jesus is saying definitively, I'm the only way that you'll get to the eternal life that you're hoping for. He doubles down on this in John chapter 14 and verse six when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life and nobody comes to the father except through me. So what Jesus is saying is he's calling out to you today. But I want you to notice that not only is this gate, the gate that Jesus is standing in, oftentimes hard to see. I want you to see the promise that he makes that not only is the, is the gate narrow, but the road is difficult. Can I just tell you that some of y'all have been lied to, that you have listened to a preacher, you've listened to a Christian tell you and make promise you, oh, just baby girl, just trust your life to Jesus and everything will be all around sunshine, rainbows and unicorns, it'll be great. Can I tell you that Jesus never promises that? In fact, right here, he's promising the opposite. He's saying, listen, life is going to be difficult. Getting to me and allowing me to bring you through the gate through your faith and trust in me is, is the first and most important part of the journey. But the rest of the journey is gonna be filled with ups and downs, with potholes, with, with unexpected things, with, with difficulties. But it is the way that leads to life. In a sense, what Jesus is saying is, is listen, you're going to go through hard times. I'm going to tell you this up front, that you're going to hurt, that you're going to be upset, that you're not always going to agree with me. There's times where you're going to be wounded and you're going to grieve. But all of that pain is not the evidence of my absence. All of those sources of pain are opportunities for me to demonstrate my goodness. People often try to say, if God is so good, then why do so many bad things happen? Christians don't even believe that. We don't believe in that God. We believe in a God that in the midst of all of the bad things, that he is still good. Jesus then closes with a story that illustrates two people. Well, there's a lot of similarities. Two different people are alive, they're living, they're doing their thing. Two different people are making a decision about how they're going to live. The decisions and the, the framework that they're going to live by and ultimately he's gonna talk about the way, the, 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 the way that those decisions led into to choosing which house and where they were gonna build their house. And these two people experience an incredible and terrible and awful storm. And as I read what Jesus says here, I'm just asking you this question today. Which of these two people are you? Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, the person that says, okay, Jesus, I hear you and it, <laughs> that's a lot, you're asking a lot of me. As we've read through your manifesto, the things that you require, the things that you expect, it's a lot. It's gonna cost a lot. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do it. He says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, house and all hell came against them and it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these sayings of mine does not do them. Jesus, I hear what you're saying. You're asking a lot. It might be a, a bit much. I tell you what, I, I'll do enough to say that I can be associated with you, but I ain't doing all that other stuff. That stuff's crazy. You know what I mean? Ain't nobody doing that. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell. And great was its fall. You see, I'm convinced that it is because of Jesus' great love and compassion for you and for me today and the great love and compassion for every person that has ever existed on the planet that he spoke these words into existence. And today he's preserved them for us to be able to read them and hear them today so that we can ask ourselves the question, which of these two people am I? Jesus tells us the story so that we can see the potential outcomes of what's ahead. And he defines these two people with two different categories. First, the wise person is the one who hears Jesus' words and is willing to apply them to their life. You hear what Jesus teaches about hypocrisy, about religion, about things being inside out, things about being upside down challenges about where we're gonna place our trust, how we're gonna treat people, what we're gonna do when it comes to the things of our life that intersect the principles of God's word. Well, are we gonna choose to believe what feels good to me or are we gonna to choose to believe what God's word has said? The person who looks at God's teaching and Jesus' words and says, listen, I know this is tough and it's difficult, but I'm gonna trust you, Jesus. And it might be harder, it might cost me more, and it might take longer. But I'm trusting that the investment I'm making on the front end is an investment into my future so that when, not if, the storms of life come, I'm gonna be okay. You see, here's the reality. There are three groups of people. Everybody falls into one of these three groups. You are either currently in a storm, you've just come out of a storm, or you fit into being a storm, you just don't know it yet. And what Jesus is saying is, the wise person is the one who does the thing that might be harder on the front end. It might not be as expedient. Where you hear his words and you don't rationalize it, you don't negotiate it, you don't go, well, I like this part and not those parts, so I'm gonna pick and choose which parts that I want. No, 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 no. When you hear these sayings of mine and do them, you will be a wise person. And that is the person who hears Jesus's words and you're willing to apply them to your life no matter how hard it may be. And the winds come and the rains come and all hell breaks loose in your life. You'll feel it all, but your house will still stand. The house, by the way, is a metaphor of your life. And the rock is a metaphor of Jesus. 
But the foolish person is the person who hears Jesus's words and is just unwilling. Unwilling to imply them to your life. I, I don't know that I can do that, Jesus. I ain't trying to be a Jesus freak and all that. I just need enough to know I'm going to heaven. Thank you. Can I tell you that Jesus did not come and live and die just so that you can know that you go to heaven? Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again so that you can have a relationship, not just to save you from the hell that we're all going to apart from Jesus, but to save us from the hell that we go through in this life. What Jesus is saying is, is the fool is the one who hears what I'm saying and go, no, I'm good. That's cost too much. It's gonna take too long. I'm gonna go build my house on the sand. I'm gonna go build my life on my own shifting sand of morality and ethics that satisfy me in a moment that make me feel good from time to time. And can I tell you to every single person who makes this decision that Jesus calls the foolish decision, can I tell you that you will experience things in this world that the person who chooses to build their life on the rock will not because it is much more expedient to build your house on the sand. You can get there quicker. The work can get done faster. And so you will be done with the work and you will go on with life and you are gonna experience things and see things and do things that the person who follows Jesus with all of their heart and with all of their life may not, but can I just take a moment to talk to the people who are deciding today, I'm gonna to build my life on Jesus. Listen to me. They may experience things in this world that you dream of. They might go to places that you wish you could go. They might experience promotions and family joys and vacations and material things that you wish that you could possess. But listen to the promise of your God today because what he is saying is when they build their house on the sand, it's not if but when the storm comes. And when the storm comes, it is going to wreck them and they're gonna be left holding all of the broken and shattered and tattered pieces of their life going, God, why has this happened? God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? God, where are you when all of hell is unleashing its wrath on me? God, why, where are you? The promise, the promise of Jesus today is that you don't have to go through that. That when you build your life on Jesus, there is no storm that can overwhelm your life when you choose to build it on the rock. The wise person takes the extra time, sacrifices the things of this world from time to time, makes the investment. Jesus, you are the only one that is secure enough to hold my life so I will build my life upon your word, even when it hurts, when it disagrees with me, when I don't like it. Because when I do, I can stand on the promise of your word and I can stand tall and I can say to the devil of hell and the storms that he sends, give me your best. Because at the name of Jesus, you won't take this ground because it was bought and paid for 
by the blood of the Son of God and the reality of the empty grave. The life following Jesus, being a kingdom citizen, it's not glamorous, it's not fancy, and it's not easy, but listen to me, it does work. So Jesus is asking today, what are you gonna do about it? All these things that you've heard, the next time that you, you come into a Sunday morning or the next time you're reading your Bible or you hear a message that's challenging, Every single time Jesus is gonna say, what are you gonna do about it? By the way, this is why we say over and over again that every time the word of God is declared, it demands a response because he's gonna create a fork in the road. What are you gonna do about it? And every time your choice is basically pretty simple. You can choose to hear. You can choose to ignore. When you do, you are pretty much certain to experience unnecessary destruction. I don't know what's going to be destroyed. But it is the promise of God that when you choose your own way and not his way, that something is going to be destroyed. I don't know what it's going to be. But it's unnecessary. Or you can choose to hear. You can choose to apply. So, okay, Jesus, I hear what you're saying. I'm not going to expect you to change your standard to my life. I'm going to change my life to your standard. And the promise of Jesus that he's giving us here is that when we do this, that we'll live blessed. It's not the promise of material blessings and stuff that you can measure with dollars or cents, health or wealth or prosperity or fame. No, the kind of blessing that Jesus is promising here is the kind of blessing that resonates so deep within our soul, which is perfectly in accordance to his upside down ways and his inside out kingdom. It's the kind of blessing that says all of the health and the wealth and the fame and the notoriety and the prosperity it can all be taken away, but I know I'm still good because I have built my life on the rock of Jesus and I won't collapse. So let me ask you today, what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.